Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Canem Ritz podcast. This is volume eight, issue 378, and we are covering Inside. You can play along with Canem Ritz. Our next five issues are Dyad, Pilot Wing 64, Observer, which has other um, stylizations in the title that I don't quite know how to pronounce, but we'll go with Observer for now. Uh, Final Fantasy 12, continuing along on our Final Fantasy series, which will be in theory, at least wrapping up by the end of the year, we got some big ones to go. And Metal Gear Solid Five Ground Zeroes. That is just the Ground Zeroes part for now. We will be covering uh, the full Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain later on in Volume 8. Uh, Canemrinse.com is where you will go to see our full schedule, as well as links to our forum, our shop, and everything else that we do. You can get the show a week earlier than non-subscribers, if you like, by subscribing to our Patreon. That is uh, patreon.com slash And that'll just cost you a dollar a month if you're interested, uh, which equals out to about 78p or 0.88 of a euro. So, you know, if you can uh, if you can swing that and you'd like to get the show a week earlier, plus a uh, mini cast that is with uh, Leon and Jay, that's once a month, uh, just for our Patreon subscribers. You can also, if you like, uh, kind of a virtual tip jar at PayPal, if you uh, if you so desire. We do more than just this podcast. This is a lot. We do a lot of podcasting uh, just with the regular Kingdom Rants, but if you want more, we have that for you. Uh, on Wednesdays, we have Sound of Play, which is our video games music podcast. Thursdays is Playwright with Ryan and Ryan, uh, and they uh, workshop video game ideas into uh, into something a little bit a little bit more. I, I believe that many of the team members have actually done guest appearances on that. I have once, and uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So give that a try on Thursdays. And on Fridays, we have Chris O'Regan with The Sausage Factory that just gets behind the games and uh, talks to video game developers about their craft. So you're uh, you're getting a little bit of a different angle on things from there. Uh, subscribe, review, and rate this show and all of the other shows that we do on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever you're calling it these days. RSS base feeds, anything that you... Uh, we are also on Spotify these days. Anywhere that you get your podcasts, if you don't mind. Uh, just saying a few nice words if you like to uh, like to listen to us. We do appreciate that. Uh, and it uh, increases our visibility. So please, if you do have the time, we appreciate that greatly. Uh, we are also branching out these days into uh, more and more video content. We have our Canem Rinse stream on Sundays, uh, which is live on Twitch at uh, 20 hundred hours UK. And then it'll be available on YouTube. Uh, follow us on basically anywhere on the Internet that you like to go. We're probably there. So Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, your refrigerator, anywhere that is online right now, go ahead and uh, follow us. We do a lot of fun and uh, interesting things that I think you'll like. So, uh, you will have noticed that I am not Leon Cox. I am Leah Haydu, and joining me this week in issue 378 are James Carter. Hello. Hi. Tom Quillfelt. Let's go inside. Yes, let's. And Jacob Geller. Hello. I tried really hard to think of like a quote from the game, but I couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> it's tough for a game with no dialogue. I'm struggling with that. Too. Could I make like the sound uh, of people jumping? Just like yeah, just kind of go. Uh, no, the groan. Yeah, the, the blob groan. <laughs> I'm not sure all... exactly how you spell that, but um, I I might have to figure that out in the next couple of days. All right. So uh, inside, uh, developed and published by Play Dead. 
You may recognize them uh, from their previous game, Limbo, which was covered way back in the early days of Kane and Rins. Kane and Rins number 24. Uh, so the uh, the thoughts of our team can be heard back there. But uh, this is their second game, uh, directed by Arndt Jensen, produced by Mads Wibro and Forrest Sword Out Large. Um, if I am butchering these names, I genuinely apologize. It seems to be uh, kind of a theme with us that uh, that that kind of happens sometimes. Programmed uh, by Soren Troutner Madsen, uh, Thomas Krogh and uh, Lace John Fuglesang Peterson uh, did the character programming uh, animated. And I definitely wanted to call this out because uh, one of the things that I personally uh, had a, a great impact on me, and this was a lot of the animations and um, credited for that is Andreas Normand Gronfed. Um, art, there's visual development by Morton Christensen Bromson and the environmental art uh, which is just the lighting in particular uh, stunning, stunning lighting uh, Jeremy C. Peterman and Merrick Bogdan um, the writing is a little bit odd in this one as we as we were kind of alluding to in the beginning um, we there is no dialogue in this game so writing is, is something different than you might traditionally think of uh, so they don't actually have just a script writer credited for the game they do have a guest writer credited for the game and that is Lawrence Fallon Binderup uh, and then composers and sound design are credited uh, to Martin Stig Anderson Sos Gunver Ryberg and Andreas Frostholm Roybo Play Dead began work on Inside shortly after the release of Limbo using Limbo's custom game engine and then switched to Unity to simplify development. Uh, they added their own rendering routines, which were later released as open source to create a signature look. Uh, this was also partially funded by a grant from the Danish Film Institute. Uh, this game is available on multiple platforms, uh, and they all kind of came uh, not quite simultaneously, but in a, a fairly short span. It was originally released as uh, an Xbox One exclusive in June of 2016. Uh, then shortly after that came to uh, Windows on, in July of 2016. Didn't actually come to the PlayStation 4 until a couple of months later, uh, August 23rd, 2016, and then was released on iOS in 2017, and only just recently, about a year ago, got a Nintendo Switch port uh, in June of 2018. Reviews are pretty universally high. Um, Metacritic uh, was, was where I kind of skimmed through those. Uh, Xbox, they have a 93% down. That's the highest. And the lowest is for the PC at 87, uh, which is still pretty high. Uh, for, for a Metacritic game and uh, PS4 and Switch both at 91%, so kind of in the middle there. Something else that I thought was interesting was uh, Metacritic does have the Xbox One version listed as their number one best Xbox One game of 2016. And the other notable thing that was on that list in 2016, the number two game that it beat out was Overwatch. So this got some really mm. positive feedback. So with all of that in mind, I want to go ahead and issue a spoiler warning for not having an actual script in words. There's there's some pretty heavy story in this game, and a lot of it is up to interpretation, as we'll discuss. Um, but if you have not played this game and you're interested in it, especially, I think, if you have played Limbo and you liked that, uh, I, I think it's worth going and seeking it out, playing along before you uh, would listen any further. Uh, it's not very long, maybe a few hours. I think my most recent playthrough was maybe three hours. Uh, so, yeah, go stop the podcast, 
play inside, come back, you will thank us. Uh, but with that in mind, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about our history with the game. Uh, Jacob, did you pick it up on Xbox One as soon as it came out? Or did you wait a little bit? Have, have you uh, played multiple times? What's going on with it? Yeah, so I the first time that I saw this game was in an E3 sizzle reel. I don't remember exactly what year that would have been, but I remember they showed like 30 seconds of this game and they said that it was you know, from the developers of Limbo. And there was some dude, like probably a Microsoft person who was like, I have never played anything like Inside. And I remember seeing that and being like, yes, you have. Like, it just it just seemed really kind of like marketing <laughs> speak to me because I looked and it looked like a neat atmospheric indie game. But I liked Limbo. And so it was on my radar and I picked it up pretty much when it came out, because basically as soon as it was out, there were rumblings of a there's a nuts twist in this game. And and I really wanted to just like get it and play it before you know, before being spoiled on whatever happened. And after I played it, it's been basically my life's mission to like make as many other people play this as possible. Um, it's a game that I've like really tried to get into the hands of non gamers and and people have generally enjoyed it. But it's hard because you like you want them to get to the twist, but you you know, you don't want to say just like, oh, just keep keep going like just a little farther until the cool part um so with mixed success but but yes i picked it up early and and i have returned to it especially with others often awesome uh thomas what about you so i uh played limbo in 2012 i guess once you'd say that the hype had died off a little bit um and found it quite frustrating but i did beat it i said didn't i don't feel like I don't believe it resonated with me that much. And then, but I was interested in what the studio might be doing next. And then around to uh, middle of 2015, I actually volunteered to uh, help out with the audio track at a conference in Brighton uh, called Develop. And there I heard a talk from this chap, Martin Stig Anderson, who happened to be Ooh. the audio master craftsman behind both Limbo and Inside. Limbo was actually his, yes. his first his first game. And he pulled out a laptop and he says, oh, I probably shouldn't show you guys this. Uh, but he showed us the, the big um, kind of weight puzzle at the middle of the game that's just outside the, the sort of sonic boom stadium bit. Mm -hmm. And he was talking through all of these unbelievable clever things and it was to a room of audio experts of which i don't count myself i'm a sort of a more of a music guy but i can just about understand and what he was saying impressed me so greatly that it it instantly jumped the game to uh, the top of my sort of must must playlist although um i was disappointed to see it was an xbox one exclusive but it's like it's a bit like with the outer wilds now i'm a playstation 4 person mainly and then uh, and then it sort of unceremoniously dropped on PlayStation 4 quite quickly. And I didn't see much marketing about that. And at the time, I sort of speculated that maybe their sales were extremely soft on Xbox One and fell under some kind of threshold in their exclusivity contract, which meant they could release sooner. Or maybe it had nothing to do with that whatsoever. I'm just uh, I'm just speculating. But it kind of felt 
like it just sort of got dumped on PlayStation 4. And as soon as I realized it was there, I had to just uh, um, grab it straight away. I, I replayed it for the, only the second time in the last over the last week, over a couple of evenings. And, uh, and yeah, I took a lot of screenshots and thought a lot about the audio design of the game, which is, yeah, we'll, we'll get onto that later. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, James, how about you? Were you uh, raring to go day one? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, I uh, had played Limbo back, I want to say pretty much when it came out, uh, back on um, Xbox 360. And was aware of Inside, had heard, you know, some good stuff about it. The fact that it was a follow-up to Limbo certainly already had my interest. Um, and I end up purchasing it on 8th of July 2016 on PC. So that would have been, I think, the day after release. Yep. And I played through it once and have not been back to it since until just this week, where I sat down to go through uh, again. So it's be very much been a journey back sort of uh, three years for me trying to recall how I felt about it at the time, but not a game I was compelled to sort of replay uh, incessantly after I'd played through it once. And I think I immediately went and got all the sort of secret orbs, I guess, I don't know what we'd call those, mm -hmm. uh, to get the hidden ending. Um, so I did do that, but that was all very quickly after release um, and then only coming back to it now. My my own experience has been, it, it sounds like, kind of a little bit of everybody else's. Uh, I also played through Limbo. Um, I, I actually started playing through Limbo again this morning. Inspired me uh, after finishing Inside. I, it, I hadn't played it in quite a few years and uh, discovered that I have trophies from Limbo from 2010. So I guess that probably would have been either the year it came out or uh, possibly a year or two after. It was pretty close um so i had played that pretty much right when it came out and then um inside i also picked up pretty close to when it came out like uh, like thomas i um i i did wait i did play it on the ps4 but that was pretty close to its release date uh and then uh, again like james i did not play it again until this week uh, in preparation for this recording so um it i i definitely got a lot out of it the first time around uh but it wasn't I think it was the kind of thing that I could kind of mull over and just think on rather than needing to see it immediately again. Um, but I am glad that I played it again because there were definitely things that I had forgotten. So let's go ahead and move along um, to kind of what the game is about, uh, what uh, what you'll see, what you'll do. Uh, and to start off, uh, Jacob, I understand that you've brought a poem. <laughs> I have brought something to share with the class. Yes. Um, Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So so in the, I'll, I'll explain this just briefly. In Inside, there are a couple random, seemingly random sequences of numbers. And if you kind of correlate those numbers with like a, a alphabet chart, what you get are two words or two phrases. And those are busy monster and man unkind. And those are references to an E.E. E. Cummings poem called Pity This Busy Monster, Man Unkind, which is a poem and is abstract, obviously, but also I feel is just an incredible summation of like the game's themes. So I'm going to read that poem now in a cane and rinse first. Please. Yes. Pity this busy monster, man and kind. 
not. Progress is a comfortable disease. Your victim, death and life safely beyond, plays with the bigness of his littleness. Electrons deify one razor blade into a mountain range. Lenses extend unwish through curving where when tell unwish returns on its unself. A world of made is not a world of born. Pity poor flesh and trees. For stars and stones, but never this fine specimen of hyper-magical ultra-omnipotence. We doctors know a hopeless case if... Listen, there's a hell of a good universe next door. Let's go. There's the poem. I had not uh, seen that poem previously. I, I'm, my, I, I do have English degrees, but my poetry knowledge is sadly spotty. Um, I can definitely see where, uh, where, that, uh, where that fits together. Now, were you aware of the poem before you played Inside, or was it kind of something that you found out in just reading about the game, or how did you come yeah, across not, this? Yeah, not at all. This is much of what I will say, actually, today is, is drawn from an article in the uh, online zine Heterotopius about mm-hmm. Inside. This is in Heterotopius issue one um but it's an article by gareth damian martin and and he references specifically this poem although i think it was decoded by the community earlier because it's quite a complicated process to get there but yeah yeah, i read it for the first time in context of this game and now it's like completely you know inextricable from the game's themes yeah and even if a lot of that article goes over one's head like it did mine there's a fantastic uh sort of line diagram that shows the verticality of your journey through the game and that's uh, to me as important as the, the words of the article because it kind of shows that you're always ultimately going downwards um even though the ending of the game would suggest that you've come back up to escape. Yeah, I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. It is a really really wonderful piece. Very cool. We'll see if maybe we can get a uh, a link to that in the show notes, but uh but definitely do look that up uh if you are interested in uh in kind of reading. I I will say that even um that this end with other sources, there's some fascinating writing uh and hopefully we will do it justice uh to to kind of talk about it today. So before we get uh, into uh, a bit more of our own feelings on uh, the scenario setting and themes, I want to read a couple of pieces of correspondence from our forum. Um, This one is from Simon Sloth, who says, I absolutely love Inside. It is a game which I have replayed every year since it was released. It's short, exhilarating, and rewarding. There are few games which capture those feelings with such resounding quality. The fact that I'm using these superlatives about a game which mainly asks you to hold right, occasionally press left, and do a bit of jumping and climbing speaks volumes about its design. The amazing, palpitation-inducing opening creates such panic and fear whilst I am simply holding right and jumping a bit. I'm not trying to belittle the game at all, but the fact that it garners such admiration is because these moments are blessed with such impressive, dread-inducing audio and visual work. The sickening sounds of the protagonist's death are so extreme and disturbing as to make the player wince, so death is not just a minor irritant, but something dread-inducing. Inside manages to encapsulate so many different emotions in such a short running time. Fear, euphoria, confusion, panic. Simply breathtaking. And then uh, T-Bone254, also from the forum, says everything in Inside has such a sinister feel to it. It's hard for me to put my finger on why it seems so different from Limbo. I'm sure some of this is the result of how uncanny the characters look. The people that chase the boy at the beginning of the game are eerily aggressive, and that creepy girl fish thing later on is what nightmares are made of. 
Even the actions of the boy are pretty perverse. At one point, the boy paralyzes a pig by getting it to ram into a wall. He then starts to drag it across the room, but in the process, he accidentally ripped off the pig's tail. Finally, the boy grabs the pig by his limp legs, drags it across the room, and uses it like a step stool. It's viciously barbaric. It's also awesome. From the very beginning, I, I kind of got the sense of... I, I, dread seems almost overused, but it's it's very dark uh, in both a visual and a um, kind of in a, a thematic setting. You're you're running away as soon as you start. Um, so what um, what kind of first feelings, first impressions did you guys get uh, upon booting up inside? Uh, James, let's start with you. Um, yeah, I, th- I think my f- my first feeling was a lot of similarity with limbo in terms of the environmental obstacles and traps and dangers that result in a a disturbing image of a child protagonist being uh ragdolled basically is is kind of the the easy way to to describe that i suppose not that it's an easy thing to uh to see and and the audio definitely um kind of enhanced that in the worst possible way that that suggests um but it's an odd one because um, Limbo, Limbo, as I say, was very much about environmental hazards, where this very, very quickly, I think, brought in aspects of almost body horror and mm-hmm. grotesquerie that wasn't really there, certainly in my memory of Limbo at all. Limbo felt much more um, mechanical whereas this feels very organic. That's a really vague, awful way of describing, I think. But I think there is something to it in that um, there's colour there and there's like a a fuzziness to the way that that it looks and the way that light uh, is diffuse, Uh, whereas Limbo obviously has very stark visuals with kind of uh, black and white aesthetic. And this, having the colour and having uh, the way that light behaves in it, um, just, it did capture that essence of running through a woods being chased and that sense of dread of not knowing what's going to happen and then when you do see what's going to happen if you're caught it's actually worse for seeing it in a lot of ways horror kind of is is at its worst when it holds back and doesn't show but i think in this case actually it 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 does do a a, i don't know if good job is the way to phrase that of of (laughs) capturing the awfulness of seeing the thing the way that it works with death is so interesting because you know you start even though it's a video game and death is kind of a Mm. common language in a lot of these you're a child and there are you know adults around and you see people kind of being captured and so you assume that you know, maybe you'll be like kidnapped or something. And I remember very clearly the first time that like people start shooting at you in this. And it is like it is a shocking moment. You know, the the idea that like, I don't know, it's it's a video game. And in games like this, especially you die all the time. But the kind of like visceral nature of like there are gunshots behind you and this figure is clearly not more than like 10 years old uh was a a very powerful first impression and kind of what i thought the game would be about and what's so interesting about the beginning i think is almost immediately it takes what you have kind of assumed that the game is going to be and and flips it and then it does it again and again and again basically (laughs) throughout the entire process and so i like i thought that i got a handle on the kind of disturbing that inside was and then 
just as quickly it kind of proved me wrong mm, the, the 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 worst death for me just to we'll come come back to the the start but there's a point where you have to pull a box out and then stop and wait for something to happen in the background and there's just a man and a child standing kind of silhouetted and if they spot you the man just runs 20 paces up to you and just strangles you to death yeah and it's 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 brutal. It's horrible. Mm. It's by far the worst death of the game for me. It's it's apart from the you know the submarine drowning, and that that for me is even and that's later on, but it's just as potent or more so as the gunshots for Jacob. I, I feel. I feel like there's a malice almost that is not there in Limbo. In I I played as I said uh, I about half of Limbo this morning, and. Um, the hazards there are more things like you fall onto some broken rocks or you uh, the the one that everybody thinks of is the spider, you know, and that's yeah. that's more of a even though it's, a you know, not a natural spider, really, that we would think of. It's it's more of a natural thing. These are people who are choosing these deaths for you. They are unleashing these dogs on you. They are shooting you. They are putting these machines out that have these electrical, uh, you know, these electrical shocks that will, that will put you down. You know, mm. you, you are yeah. being pursued by someone who definitely wants you. Their goal is to take you down yes, and to, yeah. you know, to kill this small child. And you don't really know why you're there and you don't really know why they want you dead, but it doesn't matter because they are prepared to do whatever they need to. Yeah. And in, in limbo, the death, are kind of comedic almost mm. you know it's like you step into a bear trap and like your little head just pops off you know and it's like it's horrifying <laughs> yes, it but does. it's kind of like a like a Grimm's fairy tale horrifying yeah. there's a, there's a slapstick effect almost to limbo but whereas I, I agree Leah in in inside there is an intentional malevolence to being chased to you are being victimized in a way where in limbo you are just child moving through an environment that happens to be hostile like even the spider it it seems to be coming for you but it's never necessarily really given an intelligent purpose in the way that people chasing you and unleashing dogs on you i want to just kind of call attention with with regards to how this game treats bodies that i think from the very beginning there are to me pretty clear like holocaust ish mm. images and Absolutely. and you know to to others i think it could be any other atrocities but like these images of of people like like kind of lined up in trucks that are like driving away almost like train cars you know just like shoulder to shoulder um and and later on with these kind of like limp bodies just falling on each other you know it's it's playing with the idea of of life and corpses in in ways that you know as as someone who has you know spent spent a lot of time kind of with the material of the holocaust like you know we we treat dead bodies with a level of respect even in games where it's like you just shoot them and they fall over and that's it it doesn't seem particularly respectful but in this the kind of like continuous mutation and mutilation of bodies is is a really kind of it's 
I don't I don't know how many times I can di- say disturbing, but like it is very <laughs> intentional. Jacob, what you were saying kind of makes me think of um, there. There is a puzzle. Uh, it's kind of an extended puzzle where you uh, there's a door that you need to get to and there's a pressure plate that you need to collect a certain number of people to to bring with you in order. You need 20 bodies but they don't all have to be living bodies. Right. In fact, you can only collect 19 people, including yourself. The last one has to be a corpse that you essentially find. Yeah. And then so it, they are they are pretty much saying, you know, we just need these people here. It doesn't matter whether they're alive. It doesn't matter whether they want to be here or not. We just need to have them on this plate. And, you know, you, I, I don't. There are points at which you bring a lot of these um, sort of drone characters around with you and, you know, they will help you do things. They will lift you up. They will throw you across gaps and that kind of thing. Mm. But I it it just it it is a little unnerving because you are you are controlling these people. You know, they have no say in it and they don't appear to be especially upset about it, but they also don't appear to be happy about it. They just don't have a choice in the matter. They are following you because yeah. you have this little yeah. this little glowy hat on. Well, I mean, we might as well ride this discussion straight into the major themes of control and dominance and uh, totalitarianism, collectivism. I'm not just saying words because they sound good. These, you know, this is all in there, even if it's a second reading of the game if, until you really get to grips with it. For me, it's not a young, you know, my reading of it based on some of the other people's theories is that it's the second time you play it, it's not an innocent little boy getting kind of murdered, uh, trying to escape from anybody. It's uh, he's a, a part of a collective who is being summoned or making his way back to the hive mind, as it were, or trying to actively infiltrate and break it out. And that all of those um, drones and the, 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 the people you use along the way aren't necessarily sentient beings um, per se. So, so they are de- dehumanized meat. And that's part of what the game is um, trying to imply, if not say outright. There's this really kind of overpowering sense of disposability through the whole yeah. game that that I find really really kind of chilling and and the question of who's doing dispose the disposing is one that that you can kind of like continue to wrestle with but with all of these things with with both these bodies that you're using to kind of get you places and leaving them behind or even just the kind of like massive abandoned structures that you're running through. You know, it just feels like people in this world have done things and then just left them to rot in this Mm. fascinating way. And, and yeah. And so then, you know, you kind of on your first playthrough, you assume that you are, you start the game from running from people who want to do harm to you. And so the assumption is kind of like, yeah, I'm running from the people who hurt this world or whatever. But as you get farther in and as you kind of like, you know, get to the end, the question of who is responsible, who is even like making decisions, if anyone becomes a lot more complicated. Uh, But regardless you just have these vast expenditures of resources that have just been left behind. I wish that I could uh, remember which uh, article that it was that I was reading when um, when I saw this, but there was a um, 
a, a thought that uh, kind of made an impact on me when, when you say that, uh, that when you are going through kind of the various facilities, once you get into the more factory oriented part of the game, they all have numbers on them. Mm. Uh, you, you start at number one and you end up through number four. And you could look no, at that there a couple is, of ways. There is no number one. There is no number one. Oh, there in is the no game. number one. No. I okay. Um, so two through four. <laughs> my apologies. Um, but once you once you uh, go through those, and you know, if you notice that, you could take that in a couple of different ways. You could take it in that they're all different floors of the same facility, um, or like different chambers, um, like in you know Portal where they have uh, various test chambers. Uh, but what the article that I was reading suggested was that it's different versions of the facility. Like they went through a set of experiments and then, you know, just kind of abandoned it, decided this isn't worth our time anymore. And then went on to the next facility and then went on to the next facility. And these people just, they don't care about what they are leaving behind. They only care that they are getting results or that they are going towards getting results. Later on, there are two doors with five and six on them right near the end, actually, which Mm -hmm. is interesting, which kind of suggests, you know, if, if you're not, if you haven't, gone totally down the rabbit hole and you're just sort of doing a first reading or your own reading you might think okay well maybe maybe this is experiment number four and maybe Mm -hmm. the experiment is to kind of so so important that they're trying to solve something for humanity that it doesn't matter that what they leave behind them or what they've wasted in order to 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 make it and obviously there's the the diorama of the of the ending position where you the blob falls all the way down and it it, it's stopped by a beam of light and there's the suggestion the strong suggestion that that's all staged and that's just a a sound stage as it were um and so, so that's what the for me the 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 numbers end up meaning is like this is experiment number four uh everything from the boy starting to through to the creature going kasplat there's a lot of different readings as to who has agency in this world and what Thomas, you're saying about going back through on replaying or, or rethinking about it, because it doesn't have to be replayed. It can just be uh, reading about the game and, and thinking about it over time, like Leah, you suggested, and certainly was the case for me. Um, it didn't require a full uh, playthrough to see that, uh, that there are strings being pulled. And the question is, how many of the individuals we see have strings on them and how many are in control of the strings. And those aren't exclusive. There are characters that have both strings on them and it's suggested uh, have control of strings as well. What I think is interesting about that is my uh, revulsion at the way that bodies are treated as 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 meat, as, as just dead weight, just flesh to be used. They are tools. Um, it actually doesn't matter whether the, the protagonist child has control when doing these things. Someone does. And whether that's a system that has control and a suggestion that um, everyone in this world is under control of a system that may have no... Uh, no uh, architect it may just exist that somewhere along the line it has still been decided uh, systemically or individually that some of the people we see the drones are to a large degree worthless as individual beings and that's that that means that kind of paradoxically on on kind of repeat thinking about it you're finding out more about the game but some of the core things the game presents in the first playthrough i think hold pretty true no matter what you're reading of who is ultimately in control and who is not in the game is 
this actually uh, fits very nicely with a piece of uh, feedback that we got on the forum from Deadpool Negative, who says, when I was a wee lad, I loved to watch a bootleg VHS copy of E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Side note, those of you may not be aware that the film was not released on video for several years in the U.S. at least, but I would only watch the third act. What was and always has been the most fascinating part of the film for me is director Steven Spielberg's depiction of the scary government forces descending on Elliot and his family's cul-de-sac. That fascinating image of the hard hat man marching over the street, the disturbingly long shadow keys cast in the driveway, the way the soldiers and scientists find a way to turn Elliot's residence into a scary alien place. It's not so much frightening as it is unsettling. Off. Keys and his government men have everything under control. But what does control really mean? I wonder if there are people at Playdead who also remember those scenes as well as I do. Particularly in its first half, Inside feels like a darker inversion of many classic Spielbergian and 80s tropes. Those men in the woods driving vans aren't just looking for suspicious characters. They'll shoot this game's version of Elliot on sight. Everything is under control in the world of Inside. Sure, some sort of unspecified incident has occurred, and the city and its outskirts are littered with some strange detritus that indicates that whatever happened, it was not anywhere near what was intended. Don't worry, the smart people are in charge. Or more accurately, the right people are in charge. The rest, well, they have their uses. The kid encounters seemingly innocent people controlled by the game's vague authority, but more than once we see people who look like ordinary civilians in the city who are wearing strange masks, just like the guards, standing off to the side and observing the action. Whatever's gone wrong, it's going to be fixed. Eventually, for the right people. You're an agreeable sort, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really interesting with how this game treats normal people is like when when you're kind of outside in the city, everyone is acting very surreally. You know, you're either part of the marching column or you're one of the onlookers. But like the kind of most normal human behavior is in Lab 4, which is deep, deep, deep underground and past all of these like horrible kind of shattered expanses and there there are scientists that are just like pretty chill and are like drinking coffee and you go through like a cafeteria (laughs) and stuff and it's it is so much more unsettling that this seems to be the most normal place in the game you know if they were all acting sinister it would it would make sense with what we picture but instead it just seems like an average workplace and that is so much more bizarre and mm, it, yeah it is it is just a, a a really stroke of genius for tone setting i mean do you feel like they ignore the boy as just a boy or are they in on the whole experiment and it's all a, a staged thing that's a that's a great question and I do not have a good answer. I think that um I think that they may have been told, you know, ignore the boy, he's going to run through here, but like, you know, the fact that even if you're told that, being able to perform that action without kind of questioning speaks to this deep level of like rot in just how you are interacting with the world. Uh, the reviewist from the forum says, what a strange little curiosity. Literally just played Playdead's follow up to Limbo this morning, and it surprised me hugely, not only because it takes most of the best aspects of their previous game, builds on them and adds in a far more sinister story. But also, despite being an improvement in an almost in almost every technical sense, I found it quite soulless. That's not to rag on the creepy dystopian vibe, the themes of scientific experimentation and malpractice, imagery clearly hearkening to both the Holocaust and the meat industry, the eerie body horror, and the mostly fun puzzles. There's a lot to like here. But for me, the whole never managed to exceed or even match the sum of its parts, ironically. 
Frankly, the moment the game lost me completely was when the staff and scientists began to run past the boy, noticing him but not reacting. Although probably sensible, considering this was something like an office complex, not a military base, I found that from there to the moment when the boy was absorbed into the flailing gestalt meatball, I simply <laughs> chuckled and found the remaining 20 minutes or so of the game a bit silly. Good, but not great. So yeah, that's an interesting kind of take on it. I tend to, to lean more on the side of, well, I'm not sure, actually. I, I was I was going somewhere with that. But then I realized that, like, it's it's just kind of odd that, you know, the 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 closer in that you get to the center of this whole thing, the more people are just taking this as an everyday occurrence. Like you, you see a bunch of people uh, gathered around the sides to uh, to view the experiment or the, the big the meatball, as it were. Um, I really like that phrase. I think it's funny. You know, nobody's paying attention to the kid at that point, even though they have literally tried to kill him multiple times on his way in there. Now that he's in there, nobody cares. Has, has anyone actually... Oh, no, they have tried to kill him quite deep into the facility, haven't they? When they spot him, there are still kind of sentient... Rather than the, you know, the mer, the murderous merman, or merwoman and uh, other things that will get you. Yeah, I, it's it's not as as many. No, it seems like an automated defense system. Like they would just kill anything. Whereas in the beginning, it seems very intentionally like get that boy. Yeah, you have a lot more of the light puzzles where you know you have to stay in the shadows because if you go into the light, that's when you get kind of electrocuted. I would be interested to know when the last person who is aggressive to you is located. Like the, And when I say person, obviously, I mean what they would consider to be the people who are not the subjects of the experiment. I'm fairly sure it's the people I mentioned. I, I think it's quite close to with all the underwater. That might be The it, underwater, yeah. the, the kind of reverse gravity water sections. And there's, there's yeah. just one bit where there's a, a man and a boy who seem like the same sort of strata of society as the ones who are observing the goose march earlier on. Now, see, I had I, I I'm going to I'm going to transition into um, a uh, a little bit of a, a quandary that I had or a question, I suppose. Um, so the uh, the the section, uh, Thomas, that you're talking about, as you say, there is uh, there's kind of a big illuminated doorway you know it looks like a warehouse door or a freight door or something like that and you see a man holding the hand of a young boy well up until that point a lot of what you have seen uh, and and i think after that uh, when you're leaving as as kind of the big blob as well you you see a lot of things that indicate that you have had multiple children in this facility. You see classrooms, mm. you see smaller bodies. I, I, the mer people to me look like children mm -hmm. um, that, that have been experimented upon. So when I saw that, uh, that, that pair there, um, you know, the, the man and the little boy or the little girl, um, I don't, I don't know if you can really tell. I don't recall, but um, the child that he is with, my thought was more was less this child is his child and is you know part of this this upper class and they are they're exempt from this as this child is being raised to be an experiment did anybody else get that or is it just I mean, me? what is what is a classroom if not con you know where an adult has control over young minds I actually just read it as like a bring your kid to work day. <laughs> <laughs> and that might be it. See, that's that's part of what I really like about this game is that since you don't have this concrete, you know, set of dialogue, there is a lot of room for interpretation. And I think that there are multiple ways that you could take this. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, if you went to the, the developers, they probably have, you know, a specific thing in mind. But maybe they don't. Maybe they wanted to leave you 
able to draw different conclusions from that because I read that as incredibly sinister. Like this, this kid is being groomed to be a merchild or, you know, to be a superhuman or we're just going to shoot you up with a bunch of stuff and see what happens. And maybe you'll be, you know, this this genius and maybe you'll be a flesh blob. We don't know. And it doesn't matter because you're replaceable. We've discussed a lot of the uh, the characters that you meet within the game. Um, there's the uh, the boy who is never actually named, uh, but is the character that you control uh, through the game. Um, there are the um, they call them sleepwalkers and albinos, and I think that the distinction between them is um, the sleepwalkers are supposed to be the uh, characters that you can control, but are and I'm using humongous air quotes here, are more normal than uh, some of the uh, the other um, kind of bodies that uh, that are owned by some of the other experiment victims or subjects. Right. Well, or... the albinos are corpses, right? Like, is that is that the, the people we're talking about, the ones that are kind of like floating upside down and then... You let them go. Maybe those because those are disfigured, but also the guys that are walking around in high, high hard hats uh, later on are also disfigured, but they're still moving around. But they have no features. They've got no clothes on. They've got right. no hair. Yeah, well, nobody does. Right. So you nobody has actual faces, but there are there are characters that you can control that look closer body shape wise to the ones who are out to get you, yeah, the, 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 know, ones the scientists. Are, the ones who are dressed as laborers and workers who seem to have a yes. purpose and you are interrupting that purpose or, or hijacking that by putting the hat mm-hmm. on to control them for your purpose. Those yes. would be the sleepwalkers and the al- the al- albinos, albinos, would be the ones further towards the end of the game who follow mm-hmm. you even when you don't have the hat on. And and uh, the distinction there would be the sleepwalkers, when you get to the edge and jump off, they will just stand at the edge and wait for you to come back. Whereas the albinos, if like there's a couple of uh, sequences at the end where you jump over a, a ledge and they'll just run off the edge. But you have been, you've been embedded with something by that. Sure. One yeah, of the yeah. mer people has kind of like you up to something and given like you don't need a helmet after yeah, that. Yeah, in point, theory don't you don't need the helmet, but the way that they behave compared to when you have the helmet on that's detached when you're doing the um the scale puzzle, the enemies there will follow you, but they won't walk past the edge the point at which they would fall. Mm. They will stop. Whereas later on in the game, once you no longer need the, the helmet, um if you jump over a ledge, they'll just fling themselves off. There's a puzzle that, in fact, you have to solve that way. You have to get them to fall into the pit so that they'll catch you when you jump down. Mm. And that felt incredibly uncomfortable to me because, like, they're not getting hurt. At least you don't don't know that they're getting hurt. It may be incredibly painful to them, but they are still down there. And I think that you would still need to do that even if the result was they fell down there and you were falling on their bodies rather than having them catch you. You would still do it because that's the way to get through. And that's really good. It makes me me a little bit uh, creeped out, I will say. Some people did not have quite the strong opinion (laughs) that that we do about these people. Um, A different reading of this comes from Magical Isopod from the forum, who says, I may also be reading entirely too much into this, but the mindless goons you guide around for much of the game, to me, felt as though the creators of this game had an incredible amount of contempt for blue-collar workers. In this universe, the only real humans are posh office employees, and the laborers and tradespeople of the world are just mindless drones? It really struck a sour note with me. 
came off as incredibly tone deaf and insulting and made me question the intent of the devs. It felt like someone really wanted to send a message. Those blue collar workers are subhumans. They're not as good as I am up here in my corner office. I'd read several times that this game is supposed to have some bold anti-corporate message, but I got exactly the opposite impression. Hang on, if you think about automation and, you know, endless economist and financial times articles about which jobs will get automated out and it's an inevitability. In that reading, Magical Isopods kind of right in the sense that it's talking at the game is discussing that but i think if you think about the way that automation is currently being discussed um you know this game technologically is not set in the future or is it it's not you know there's there's no smartphones around there doesn't seem to be too much what you do see vhs tapes in yeah, a couple of so, 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 so i guess what it's saying is maybe it's a sort of comment on the automation of certain jobs but literally using you know manufactured or, or mind controlled bodies rather than kind of automated by computer algorithms and and deep learning and or, all or of that. your robotics or whatever yeah absolutely no i think that's a fairly dramatic misreading of the game's themes yeah. because it's it's depicting people as turned into like mindless capital which is a theme and and you and know very much an anti-corporate message and if you look right at the but it's, it's never it's like that. look how cool this is you know no. it is nothing but horrifying the entire game and mm. and so yeah i i never never took it as an endorsement of those practices and i never saw the characters towards the end of the game in the office i never saw them as particularly aspirational either the way that they behave the way that the lives that they're living i th- my read on that was fairly negative as well yeah the the only person that I, that you can even kind of vaguely get up to me that you could even really vaguely get a, a positive impression on is there's a worker at uh after you are blobified, um, after uh, when you're trying to escape, that you kind of have to toss a box up to him so that he will activate it for you so that you can push a button. And he does that. And I think it's because he's scared he wants of to you. Get you but out of there, also, yeah. But, yeah, he's the only one who will help you at all. Everything else is just running away from you. I think you. That another reading on that is that um, if this is all an experiment to get the boy into the blob and then to try and get the blob to the pool of light at the end. And if you remember earlier on in the game, the mer people are frozen by the light. It, it makes them recoil. Um, and, and at the end, when you fall, the, the blob falls into the pool of light, it stops and you can no longer control it. Um, as if to say, this is the, the resting place um, and we've got it under control from here. So if you if that's your reading and the blob is kind of like rampaging, uh, you know, splatting all these scientists, but maybe some of them are in on it or, or the experiment uh, uh, doesn't regard them as, you know, regards them as disposable as well. Uh, and that, but they just want to complete the experiment. So they open doors for you. They engage that box. At one point, they um, kind of lure you over to a pit, which then pulls you down into a tank, which I think is the very almost the last thing that you do, isn't it? And then you break out the side of the tank. Um, so I think there's a sort of triple reading you can do of that, like yeah, yeah. that the, whoever's running the experiment. For sure. The scientists have contributed to the experiment, but they weren't aware that this blob was going to murder the heck out of them. But they do want to finish the experiment just to get the blob out of the way. The, the reasoning behind, I mean, that's why I especially wanted to include a little bit of feedback that, you know, had a kind of a different bend to mm. it is because there are so many different readings to this. And I, I don't agree with all of them, but like it, it's important to me to realize that games are being made like this, that that encourage that and i i really think that's cool <laughs> i would like to talk about the uh the visuals of the game and we've already 
started this uh, a couple of times. Specifically, I want to talk about uh, the animation and the lighting are, are two big things. Mm. Uh, so let's start that off with a post from Ian Ianson on the forum who says there's so much bespoke animation. Every opening you squeeze through or door you wrestle open is a unique set of assets. It's a small thing, but it really helps to demonstrate the care and attention lavished on this game. The feel of character movement is right up there with Mario 64 and Sunshine. The look and feel of swimming has never been bettered in a game. There's a fantastic GDC talk by the developers about how they animated the creature on a purely technical level it's a remarkable achievement that completely throws away the rule book in terms of how 3d game characters are animated on top of that it's all wrapped up in an incredibly engrossing interactive tone poem of a world i don't pretend to understand what it's all about but i remember what i felt i'm reminded of how i felt watching one of the bizarre and amazing short films you would sometimes mm. get late at night on the uk tv channel film four in the early 2000s something that strips back absolutely everything outside of the sights sounds and mood that matter for that short time masterful that's brilliant feedback he, he he touches on so much there the one thing that makes me think is though it, it's not 3d uh, yeah it's a, everything's in 3d but it's yeah. a 2d it's a 2d <laughs> game maybe that helps him with animation or that the amount of time they took to polish it's basically polish the video game isn't it yeah every little thing is just perfect like there's there's a thing that i always think about in the animation with this game which is the first time you come to a fence you can either just push open the fence, but if you attempt to jump off it, you kind of stumble because the fence gate moves backwards as you jump forwards. And it's such a little thing. But when I saw that, I was just like, oh, my God, like someone made an animation just for that. And it looks exactly like you would expect that it would. It is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with Ian. Yeah, I the reason that the animation, I think, stuck with me so much um, yet yeah, there are, as you as you all are saying, um, there's so much polish to it, but they use that polish a lot of the time to be really unsettling. What I think of um, I, the obvious connection there is to the uh, to the the creature or the the blob it, what they actually call it is the huddle which is something that i found while i was uh <laughs> while i was doing research for this and that's that i i thought that that was great but um that's apparently what the developers call it so um but that that's kind of the obvious um thing to to pull out if you if you're thinking of things being disturbing but what really got me was the mermaids um the, the, the animation well. on them Yes, when they are swimming, just their body movements coupled with how their hair kind of moves around, they just look so alien and so just uh, creepy, I guess, is is a, a low-tech but effective word. Like, uh, what what's that toy, that plastic toy? The trolls, is it, with the multicolored hair? Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, if you put one of those underwater, yeah, that'd be about what it'd look like, I think. But it's the, but yeah, the I, silhouette of the, you know, when they talk about character design and, and having a distinct yeah. silhouette for each character when there's an ensemble mm -hmm. cast. That one is the, I think, you know, maybe 15 years time in the future when we remember this game, that might be the character that, that and the huddle that get remembered. Uh, so visual wise, um, what stuck out for you guys? It's, it's everything, isn't it? Everything. The yeah. polish is. It's <laughs> That's a loaded question because uh, there's a bit with the puzzle where you have to get twenty people onto the weight platform. There's one bit where you go to the far left of one of the upper levels, but the camera just moves out slightly to highlight something way down in the distance, which is one guy you might forget to go back to get all the way to the left. And it's just like that, and the lighting, and the silhouettes, and just, just. I mean, it's useless to say it. Everything, everything is brilliant. Everything is polished and everything builds on each other. Architecture, um, you know, the, in terms of the architecture telling a story and the actual 
physical beings in that world, the the imagination of the upside down water, I, it's impeccable for me, really. Yeah, there there are two things that I really want to highlight here because, I, yeah, we could just talk about this forever. The first time you're in the submarine, you are kind of going through uh, fairly narrow underwater corridors and then there's there's a thing where you're kind of like bashing against a door in the like on the floor and you and you bash through that door and suddenly you're in just kind of an expanse of water that is five times bigger than any kind of open area you've experienced thus far in the game and mm. and I don't think of myself as someone who has you know agoraphobia or thalassophobia which is like the kind of fear of big things in water but like feeling almost comfortable with the with the claustrophobia of going through these different <laughs> environments and then just being like thrust into this massive area yeah. is just just kind of sent chills down my neck <laughs> and and similarly i'll be i'll be quick with this one in the big sonic boom room you have been going through and there's all this machinery and it's kind of being blown apart and it seems like just this kind of industrial area. And then you get to a part that is set up to be a classroom and there are there are like dummies in the classroom that are yeah. being blown apart and you suddenly realize that this is not just a kind of machine, but like a weapon testing, you know, that that it's incredibly reminiscent of like Very those much, fake villages yeah. they made for nuclear bombs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's such a it's such a like kind of not in your face thing. They're never like, and here's the classroom. It's just like you suddenly realize what the purpose of where you're standing is. I mean, Portal 2 is a Portal and Portal 2 are lighter versions, you know, more humorous overall and tone and stuff. But there's still some huge spaces in that. And the way they play with space in Portal with claustrophobia and then huge spaces and rooms that get constructed on the fly. I feel like there's some sort of valve design philosophy in here somewhere. Yeah, particularly with going behind the intended sets you're supposed to see mm -hmm. in Portal and Portal 2 very much. Obviously, the end of. Yeah, probably not. Go ahead and spell that. But that that notion of going behind what you're supposed to see and seeing the vast expanse behind it that, that sets completely against the interior of the set, like um, that room you're talking about, Jacob. You stand at the back and pull the lever from where someone carrying out a test would do exactly the same. And as you walk into the room, you see the blinds coming up and realize you've just exposed all of these figures that are all dressed differently in this room to what's coming through and, and the thing that you've been hiding from. And then you step outside of that room into this massive expanse and realise that room is very much a little sort of test environment. And then you go out into what's actually going on behind it, which isn't necessarily the outside world. It's just a bigger, uh, almost like space, yeah, space uh, aircraft hangar sort of style size. Yeah. So it does give this impression of you're in the little office at the corner of the aircraft hangar and you walk out into this giant environment. We kind of touched on the the fact that um, visually this does owe a lot to Limbo. Limbo, however, is monochromatic, whereas inside is not quite monochromatic, but it's kind of gesturing towards that. Everything is very dim and almost 
washed out is the wrong word because it's not pale. It is De- desaturated, just, I guess, is the, yeah, is the more specific I think that's, word. Yeah. I think you're right. Yes. Um, so uh, there is color, but it is definitely yeah. not, yeah. It, it's not full blast. You know, you are, it's muted in a way that uh, you don't see very often. And it varies as well from environment to environment, yes. which is really cool. Um, I think the, th- the thing that no one else has mentioned, but stuck out to to me specifically was we've talked about how it's 3d environments but you're moving on a 2d plane um the sense Mm -hmm. of depth there seems like it could have been a real problem um for knowing where your plane is if you see what i mean and what along Mm -hmm. it you're going to interact with as opposed to run past and i never i cannot think of one instance where i did not know what was the item I was going to interact with and that was on my plane. That's polish again. That's just time and polish. I agree, but I will say that there were a couple of points where it wasn't that I that I thought that I could interact with mm. something or that I couldn't or that I was confused about something. There were a couple of points where it was frustrating that I couldn't reach a ladder or move kind of in it a different direction. Like you but might I have a way think out. That, yeah, yeah. that might have been by design, though. Like, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I might just be making excuses. But <laughs> um, but yeah, that that I will say not often enough that I think it's that big of a detractor, but it was there. There's something that er- errant signal the youtuber didn't like he doesn't like the kind of play dead trick you into a first death on a puzzle to then make you understand the puzzle but i see that as part of the the dark humor it's definitely you know limbo is full of it but in this there's a there's one point where your eye is drawn upwards to the up i think it's the first time you see the the reverse gravity water and these bodies and it's just this incredible sci-fi horror visual and then there's a hole that you fall into i think you die <laughs> i think you die it's an instant death in that hole or something so they're trying to they're trying to trick you they're they're playing visual gags as well and to me this just again it comes back to polish the time and the inclination to polish everything to a, an absolute shine and some people might not like that. On a purely mechanical level, though, I think that they can get away with that pretty easily because it is a very fast restart mm. and the checkpoints are very generous. So, like, I, I never found myself getting... Fr- I'm not a person who generally enjoys having to throw myself at the same puzzle again and again. But in this case, the way that they did the checkpoints really worked for me mm. because I there were things that I needed to try multiple times in order to get past them. But it was such a quick restart and it, it just it didn't it never ended up bothering me. Yeah, there's this like delicious sense of cruelty in in some of the tricks. The one that I think of and I just I I cannot emphasize how genius I think this is, is there's the there's a scene where you're being chased by dogs and you climb over a fence and and, Mm -hmm. you know, you the dogs can't jump over the fence. And so then you're kind of doing doing something you're like pulling boards away but then you realize that although you can only move in two dimensions the dogs can move in three and so the dogs run around a wall and come back on the other side of the fence and rip you apart and and there's really almost no way of knowing that's going to happen the first time but it's like they have even made the dimensions of the game feel oppressive like the fact that you can only do things like in in left or right but everyone else can move in totally 3d it's incredible like you know i could not ever you know conceptualize like 
taking such a thoroughly kind of like understood game genre and making the rules of that genre itself part of the story but they just they do it and it's it's yeah it, it is such an experience and it does involve a death but i love it the same that part was rough i, <laughs> I, did that. I was stuck there i mean I, I i knew what i was supposed to do but i just kept thinking oh i can probably get one more board off before they come back nope nope that was never never <laughs> i think it's understandable that that's for some people and, and occasionally for myself included there is frustration there where you die and think, well, okay, I couldn't possibly have known what would happen there. I couldn't possibly have done exactly what I needed to to get through that scene. And once or twice, that's like, a, oh yeah, okay, game, you got me. But when it's ev- every like 10 paces, it feels like, of the opening of the game, it's like, well, I'm, I'm my only feedback here is failure. And when that happens out of the blue, it it's... I, I think there is kind of a, a, a almost a, a wry smile there, but when it's happening so often, I think that can put a lot of people off. And certainly on replaying it, I'd forgotten everything, like where the where the to. branches were <laughs> that I was going to trip over or whatever. I'd yeah. forgotten all of that, so it was just oh, I I didn't move as quickly as I should have, so the dog got me this time, and that's yeah. a little bit like well. Until I fail, I can't possibly know how to succeed. So it's not really a cinematic sequence like in Uncharted. And it's not really a platforming puzzle like in, in other platformers. It is just kind of learning through attrition almost. Um, and so I think that is something that's a, a little odd. It's a failure. It's a, but it's a video. It's a very video gamey. You could oh, sure, argue, yeah. you could argue like, oh, well, because this is an experiment. This is a huge experiment law wise. So this isn't, you're not the only boy, you're just one. And then you get killed and then another one comes in. But I, that would be not a very good way to excuse it. I don't think. There are sections where if you aren't just going, like if you hesitate at all, you're done. And there is no way to know that the first time around. So I, I think that they they definitely had to have built these things in. And and whether you like that or not is a per, is a personal choice. You yeah. know, it's it's it can definitely be argued whether that uh, detracts too much from the experience to make it. You fail in Portal until you see the solution. It's not a unique thing, but it is something that can work or not work Mm. for the individual. And I think we talked about how important it was to to experience some of those deaths. You know, I'm not, I I am not arguing that every death in the game is fair or necessary, (laughs) but like, it is important that the mermaid kills you, I think, to your like understanding of this game. I think the experience would be lessened if you didn't have that, like you know moment of of panic and then knowing every time you see it that like this is the potential leah you mentioned how how quickly you get back in if if as far as i know there aren't any puzzles you can fail through action you only tend to fail if you die during and it gets you back very quickly into that another thing to do with more presentation than specifically the the look of the game and the kind of visual styles and how that matters for gameplay is there's very little in the way of UI and artifice in the game. Like when it first boots up, you press start and you are straight into the game. You can mm. then go to the start menu and change profile if you want to load in someone else. If you go to the, there's only like three options on that menu though. 
Have you loaded a game? Have you loaded a game? It's amazing. This this bar comes across the bottom yeah, yeah, of the it's screen. It's a timeline of scenes, yeah. Yeah, like a DVD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's incredibly clever and breaks the game up in... in well, it does many things. It shows you how much further you've got to go in the game, more or less. It's not specifically linear timeline, but it shows you how far through roughly you are, which I'm can work in some games cases and not work in others obviously if you don't want the player to kind of feel when the climax is coming but in this case I is that really there the it. first the first playthrough uh yes okay I, I wasn't sure because yeah no I, I I noticed that when I played through uh just this most recent time and I couldn't remember whether it was there the first time or not so I, I played on a different um I played on Xbox one this time around gotcha, and went gotcha. straight to load because I realized I'd missed one of the secrets earlier mm-hmm. I'd remembered where one was yeah. and I went to load dial back just as as you say like a dvd menu through scenes went to mm-hmm. it did what i need to do and thought oh i wonder if we'll save that progress so you go back and you skip right forward to where you were and it's it it's an amazing system and then the other options exit and there's nothing on in mm. terms of hud there, there there's very little yeah. in terms of barriers to just playing the game there's all less than almost any game i can think of to be honest again it just comes back to polish and and I wonder if there's anyone in the world that would say it's too polished. It's it's this kind of whether the game is kind of a bit too self-serious, self-important, high art, no dialogue, no UI, no tutorial, no explicit tutorial, and whether it's all a bit too smooth. I'm sure that those people are always going to exist, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, I think when I think of games that are too polished, I think of games that have no kind of corners, you know, where it's like one person might have difficulty with this and so we're going to take it out and i think in inside's case it feels like a perfectly realized version of a vision and there are frustrating bits as as we've talked about and we'll talk yeah. about more you know they did not remove things for the sake of kind of like easy play I think they probably did. This game was in development for a long time. Of course, but there are there are still things in that can be frustrating. And I'm sure that they knew they would be frustrating. And so it's not that they, you know, they they sanded down every corner. It's just that that they made what was in there, you know, about as good of a version as it could be. And what and nothing reveals that more than the, the the split second timing of like the dog is just about to get you, or mm-hmm. the mer, mer person is just about to get you, and that's also quite contrived, but fun and uh, exhilarating. And it comes from polish, from them knowing exactly how much time you've got. But that's a case where they have polished it to the point of providing frustration. If a player has, as as you said, Leah hesitates for a second, for a split second, and just misses, mm-hmm. which happened to me a couple of times, even on a replay. Yeah. Isn't at the beginning oh, you same. have to hesitate though. They teach you not yeah, to hesitate, yeah. and then there's a puzzle at the beginning where you, <laughs> where have, you have to hesitate. hesitate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that's just black. It comes back to black humour for me. One could argue that if we're talking about polishing a game to where it can never be misunderstood or or misplayed, if you like, well, the whole ending flies in the face of that, as far as I'm. Mm concerned just by pro- like one could say okay they've polished it to allow a lot of interpretations if you want to look at how you look at they've what their intent was as to what they were polishing towards but to leave a game in many ways that open-ended to interpretation across many different facets but the ending specifically that's a corner for people to get hung mm-hmm. up on or stuck on or, or to, to brush against and clip on. Um, that's very much a sense where it hasn't been polished to a fine point because there are several points at the end that could be taken away from it. So, 
We've talked a lot about the uh, the visuals of the game, uh, and we've talked a little bit about the audio, but I want to focus on that, um, and I want to start with uh, some feedback from the forum. This is from a first-time contributor, uh, John Bash, who says, The overall atmosphere of the game, exemplified in the stylized visual artistry and design and animation of the various sets, as well as the aforementioned sound design and music, is the real star here. Vast ambient soundscapes over vast corporate landscapes <laughs> giving way to dilapidated underwater graveyards. If nothing else, even the gameplay and plot were to completely fail at their tasks, and I assert that they do not, there are some segments in here that stand as unparalleled works of audiovisual art. Yeah. Uh, and then they continue to say, uh, I adore the way that the plot is unfolded entirely through the context and environment, here in a much richer way than in the preceding game. We're never quite sure exactly what is going on, but it's beautifully haunting nonetheless. Is this an anti-capitalist allegory demoning a lack of autonomy afforded all but the most privileged people? Is it a mean-spirited poke at the working class and their perceived lack of exercise of their free will? Is it a philosophical questioning of the very existence of free will? I'm not sure, but its wordless questions evoke only a wordless shrug. And to be honest, I'm completely okay with that. Questions of agency and free will do seem to be at the heart of the game, and it's a question that games are, for obvious reasons, well-equipped to ask. So we've got a couple of things here. Um, there's uh, there's the soundscapes, which I'm sure we're going to have plenty to say about. And there's also the fact that, as we've alluded to before, there is no dialogue in this game. Mm. So um, there, that leaves some questions unanswered. Um, so let's let's talk about that. So, like I said, my my intro to this game was was a kind of intimate behind the scenes talk with the sound guy, Martin, the main sound guy, Martin Stig Anderson, and I. I would happily say he's a, a master craftsman. Limbo was actually his first game, uh, and he comes from a background like of uh, uh, electroacoustic, and basically he's a sound scientist. Let's put it like that. He's all about kind of music and sound and foley uh, and mixing and then re-recording things, putting microphones in people's stomachs or through human skulls. Um, uh, he's just like experiment with everything and then use all of these different tools and use audio not to create verisimilitude, not to be realistic, but to be as artistic as any other artistic element of the game. Um, and, it, and it all works together, sound and when... Music comes in and out. There's the part where, uh, uh, Jacob, you mentioned that the sub bursts into the big chamber. And I think the sound effects drop out and the music comes in. There's also a moment when you leave the sonic boom chamber, which is the most incredible sound sequence. I'll start at the beginning of that, actually. This is the bit he showed at this talk. These incredibly clever little touches that some are realistic, some aren't realistic. The breathing of the boy... Um, the the sound of bodies splatting down and all of the different tricks of the trade there, but also uh, before you go into the Sonic Boom Stadium, the the foreshadowing of whatever that thing is and the way the walls shake, but the sound of this this huge pulse, and then obviously when you get into the middle of that room, the, the pulse is just deafening. It's just this this massive. All these different clever effects he's timed together, sound effects, and there's some music in there. And there's some, the foley of this game is incredible. The footsteps, the textures, everything. And then when you leave that section, there's this kind of almost heavenly um, synth pad section that comes in just to totally mellow you out and give you just a break. And, and all of the pulsing kind of almost completely dies away, um, even though it wouldn't in real life. You know, it would still be there as strong as it was to foreshadow it. And then they dunk you in a lift and you you, <laughs> you drown. Um, 
He's <laughs> one of the absolute <laughs> foremost guys in the business. And let's face it, he got a sword swallower to swallow a microphone. And then he used the recording <laughs> of his heartbeat to um, foreshadow the, the marching of the drones earlier on in the game. And that turns into a rhythm action puzzle. And it's just that seamless, you know, design and sound and and everything, all the visual aspects and everything coming together. And this guy is just absolutely right guy at the right time. Agreed. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, the thing about recording uh, some of the sounds for this game, a large number of the sounds for this game, uh, by sort of playing them reverberating inside a human skull, and obviously... To some degree, if you want to look at it abstractly, all sounds that we hear as human beings uh, reverberate in the human skull. Mm. So there's a certain aspect of, well, yeah, all sounds reverberate in the human skull. Why are these ones special? But uh, several times during the game, I was struck by how the sounds I was hearing had a, an echo to them. Like I've heard people describe it as hollow. Mm-hmm. To me, it sounded, it was an echo waiting to happen. The, the, the actual echo never came. But that first, that, that sound I was hearing had that, it was, it was, pregnant with the notion of an echo happening behind it and that really helped when with some of the large environments where you are this tiny being running through next to like uh, tanks that are just giant next to you and then others in the distance that are much smaller so you get a sense of the the scale of the room the audio absolutely fed into that and obviously the sonic boom room goes without saying but everything that's underwater just in, in a way that I would say something, I would say a game like Abzu captured the feeling of being someone who is comfortable swimming in water in a way that I have never felt in any other game. This captures that weird expanse and claustrophobia, fear of claustrophobia and like the claustrophobia of drowning, I guess, coupled with the, the just, uh, feeling like you are this tiny insignificant thing because bodies of water are just massive compared to a tiny human being in them. Um, this captured that aspect of being underwater in a way that few games have for me without necess- without immediately, it does eventually, relying on there being a threat under the water that you feel ill-equipped to handle. Uh, even from the first moment you go underwater, I think there's a, a sense of of that duality of being um, claustrophobic and agor- agoraphobic, I guess, at the same time almost. There's just a tiny touch I forgot to mention. The light beams with the shadow puzzles. There's a tinnitus hiss. There's like this really high searing hiss where the light um, is passing over that that feeds into the puzzle. And the game is full of it. Like every second of the game is full of these touches. And he doesn't want you to notice them, really. They use that kind of... uh, It's not exactly the same, but it's a similar sort of uh, tinnitus style hiss when you're approaching the orbs. Like there, there's a background like a buzz almost to them that that invites you to want to stop it almost if you see what yeah. I mean. And take but taking away sound as well, like yeah, you do yeah, when you yeah. pull the thing out, is incredibly powerful tool in this yeah, game. Yeah. There, uh, there's a quote, uh, Tom, that you put in the uh, in our show notes here um, that is from Anderson in uh, in 2012, and it says, "By making game audio sophisticated, we've promoted sound from being a mere mechanical passive passenger to an active contributor to the overall game experience." And I think that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's that you know there is so much that you could probably get away with it if you didn't have that brilliant Foley work and, you know, the, the audio cues that you are, uh, that you're, that you're using pretty much consistently, but it, it 
feels so much better with all of this. It it doesn't necessarily make the puzzles easier, but it makes them feel more right, I think. Speaking of the puzzles, uh, Jobo Bonobo from the forum says, This game did so much with such little playtime. It was a game I was determined to not have spoiled for me, and I only got tempted to look online for help with a puzzle once, which is a shame, as the solution was pretty obvious in hindsight. Every other time, I was determined to figure it out myself. The beauty of this game's puzzles is that you only have two moves in your arsenal, jump and interact. This means its puzzles are not solved using particular items or abilities. You simply have to observe the environment very carefully to figure it out. And when you do, the feeling of satisfaction matches that of the best puzzlers I have played. It also never repeats its ideas. It will go through certain situations once and that is it. On to something new, always keeping things fresh. Uh, Toons Gatoon, also from the forum, says, I started inside with all the best intentions. It was a short game with an art style that I liked, so I swore that even when I got stuck on a puzzle, there was no need to cut corners. Sure, my string bean boy boy child avatar got unceremoniously strangled by thugs early on, but that was just because I didn't know the rules of the game yet. The kid, as I came to call him, was on the run, but with such rewarding, well-constructed puzzles, I saw no need to rush. Then the dogs got me. I'd kept ahead of them for some time, but eventually they caught up, tore out the kid's throat and shredded his flesh once, twice, a third time. The way it sounded, that wet rip, the efficiency with which death came, to put the kid through it all again seemed cruel to me and him, so I shamefully peeked at a walkthrough like a 13-year-old standing near the dark curtain at the back of an old video rental shop. I only did this once or twice more, but every time it was because I couldn't stand the way the kid died. His concussive dismemberment by invisible artillery at the bridge, or the horrific water-breathing creature bursting the kid's skull in the submersible, a dark horse candidate for one of my favorite video game vehicles of all time. The deaths were just so brutal, so visceral. It all just hurt too much. It wasn't fair for the kid to suffer this way because of my stupidity, and after all, I just knew he was going to get away and find happiness in his own special place in the sun. Boy, was I wrong, even when I was right. (laughs) So yeah, the puzzles. Um, I did not find myself having a whole lot of trouble with the puzzles. Um, and even when there were ones that I had to repeat, as I mentioned before, they they restarted so fast that I didn't get frustrated, even though that is something that I am prone to. Uh, how, how did you guys find the difficulty of the puzzles and uh, and the progress through them? I thought they were um, fine. I think they're, I can kind of divide them in my head. There are some that I think are just brilliant. Like, um, I'm not sure if you'd even call it a puzzle, but like the kind of the goose stepping line where first you get Mm -hmm. you kind of get a preview of what's going to happen of like you have to jump and then you have to turn around and then you have to do this, you know, is such a kind of perfect like thematic and tense, but also like you have to think (laughs) combination. And there's there's a puzzle where you're controlling one of the workers and then you have to get him to put on a helmet to control like another worker some of them are so in tone and so kind of like thematically resonant within the game that it was kind of disappointing that there were several others that were just kind of like pull the lever on this box and it'll shoot up and then jump to the other box and pull the lever you know it was like and those are normal video game things but so much of Inside set itself apart by being so, like, kind of stripped down that that some of the box puzzles I just found kind of, like, average, and that was way below the bar that the rest of the game had set. When I think when I was replaying this uh, this this week, actually, is, is a perfectly good example. It had been three years, but if I played... 
portal now. I'd go into some of those rooms, maybe not immediately, but fairly quickly, I would remember the solution. Whereas when I was replaying this game, I didn't remember any of the solutions. If it was a, a like I remembered the 20 person way scale kind of set as a set piece. I remembered uh, going into the room where the water's on the ceiling and the bodies are floating up, you know, against gravity, if you like. Um, I remember that as a set piece, but I didn't remember the, the nuts and bolts of what I had to do to solve it. And I think that speaks to the fact that, and, and this, by the sounds of it, with everyone else saying, and I never assumed at all, that's not supposed to be any kind of brag. I think it, it feels like that's supposed to be the case. Like you might need to play around a little bit to see. So, um, for example, you've got one of the crates where you pull the, the handle and it shoots up in the air and you have to realise that you've got to push a box under it in order to be able to do it again to get it higher up. That feels like the sort of thing you would fairly incidentally, if not intuitively, work out. It's this weird situation where the solutions all felt straightforward that I think, as as one of the this uh, pieces of feedback there said, if I'd ever got to the point of having to look it up, I'd have ended up thinking, oh, well, yeah, okay. I, it was like you know what I mean. It's it's so obvious that I would have felt daft for looking it up rather than clever for having solved it. Um, in the way that uh, I recently started playing the Turing test, and those puzzles felt like they all led one from the other. I was learning things about the mechanics, and I needed to understand things about the way the puzzle was set up in order to be able to solve it. This never felt like that. It felt like almost they wanted more than anything me just to keep walking to the right. Mm. And the puzzles were there as interesting moments for me just to think about what the world is rather than to think about what the puzzle is. And the beginning of that year was The Witness, wasn't it? And that's got a whole different approach to puzzles. Recently, Baba Is You comes to mind and that the puzzles are everything, like absolutely everything about the game is the puzzles. So it's it's if you were to recommend it to somebody as a tone poem or recommend it as a puzzle game, you're always going to recommend the tone piece aspect of it first. I, I, I don't think of this as a puzzle platformer in that way at all. Uh, but no, I much, mean, m- much more nas- narrative and, and aesthetic and tone. And yeah, exactly. Maybe this is an unfair criticism to level at it, though. But I have, as I said, I've I've brought this to people who don't play games And those are the parts that they get stuck on. And I think that all of us have this kind of learned sense of like, oh, when there's a box and a crate and a whatever, like this is kind of how video game puzzles work. Sure. And it it is just kind of frustrating to have this be almost a walking simulator. And I, I have shown people Journey who have never played video games and they love it because there's actually no like stumbling blocks to, to beating Journey. But in this, there is just that little thing and and I don't think the puzzles themselves are interesting enough to kind of warrant it. You know, mm. I just like I, the game. I don't want the game to be shorter. And I recognize that they are kind of like making you think. But for the most part, they just don't seem as thematically tight as yeah. almost every other part of it. It's like halfway between Journey and Portal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like Portal with its central mechanic, it is a puzzle game, but it has this fantastic lore and story reason to be doing the puzzles and test chambers and all of that, and that gets expanded upon in Portal 2. And then Journey, this you know relatively frictionless kind of experience, audiovisual experience with deeper meaning and no dialogue. And this is sort of somewhere in the middle, and maybe yeah. it suf- suffers for it. 
And and maybe the the lack of friction that I felt with some of these puzzles is what we said previously. Maybe it is actually it just happens that the the difficulty curve, if you like, of the puzzles happens to have been polished to where someone who understands, as you said, Jacob, understands the nature of puzzles like this in games like this is going to get to the solution in an almost frictionless way. But for someone who doesn't, who hasn't got the history with puzzle platformers, 2D platformers that that all of us here have, that's not going to be the case. Yeah, that's perfectly possible too. I definitely think that it plays on a shared language that many people who play a lot of video games or even not even a lot, but just some video games um, who have that experience are going to pick up more easily. And Limbo does the same thing. It's something that they buy... um, not having a uh, a verbal language in their game, they are relying on something different and not everybody has that. So it's a little bit more difficult, not impossible by any means, but it is more difficult for some people to kind of follow along than it is for uh, people in a slightly different situation uh, games wise. That's why I guess that also speaks to the fact there is almost no, well, there's no tutorializing in the traditional sense. At no mm-hmm. point does it say A to jump, you know, X to interact yeah. type thing. And I, I like that. I, that feels unnecessary to me, but I also accept that for some other people. They, they may actually just stand there and do nothing until they are told what to do to move. And so th- this is a case where very much it worked for me, but I accept that that might not be uh, the case for everyone. Is there a cheesy psych psychology thing there that plays into the story and the law? Like, you know, gamers are trained to go from left to right. And- absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's... Yeah, I'm sure yeah, there could yeah, be, yeah. Yeah. In the same way that... Uh, the Bioshock and many, many other games that have been about the playing of games as much as about the playing of this game. Yeah, I think this this does exactly that. Um, we are trained to do this. We're we're trained to to a certain extent treat the drones as tools to solve puzzles because we've played other games where that's the case. And and it's done so effectively. You know, we run from left to right in so many games that it never really occurred to me that like why is he continuing to run in you know and then and then that becomes central to the game's plot but but it's like it's so natural to just continue running from left to right that i didn't even think about the fact that he is just continuing to go deeper and deeper into this facility that is trying to kill him until that became the entire point of the plot yeah yeah it's it's a it's a fascinating one so let's uh, talk about the ending, or more properly, endings, uh, because there are two of them. Um, start off with a couple of pieces of feedback. Uh, Alex79UK from the forum says, It's been a while since I played Inside, and I only played it the once. Maybe it was my expectation after enjoying Limbo so much, or maybe it was the hype around the game, but it missed as often as it hit for me. For every genius aha moment, there was an overly long and tedious puzzle or irritating death. There were some fantastic moments of sheer terror. Those mermaid things freaked me out, and there was an overbearing sense of claustrophobia throughout the game, too. Overall, I'd say I enjoyed it, but man, that ending, I hated it. The whole last 10 to 15 minutes. The game was building and building and building, and then that thing... Well, I really didn't like where it went. Still, they've made two very atmospheric 2D adventures, and I'm still interested to see what's next. Uh, and some more from uh, John Bash, who says, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the ending. 
After Limbo's quiet, understated conclusion, I guess I was expecting something similar here. I was not expecting to get sucked into a Cronenbergian nightmare flesh blob and rampage my way out of the giant office complex in which it slash I was seemingly being held prisoner. I literally burst out laughing with joy as I burst through walls and rolled over office workers, sowing general chaos. This was such a viscerally gratifying climax to what was mostly a slow burn of an experience, and as the flesh blob rolled down the grassy hill and slowly ceased its movement before the credits rolled, it was as if it were asking itself, well, what now? It didn't think any further than the idea of freedom to actually consider what it would do with that freedom. Was there anything to do? This seems to be the question left to the player. For some reason, I want to connect this game with Vertigo uh, with uh, and with Alfred Hitchcock. Something about this, the style of the opening bit and the poster and sort of the key art of the game and the black, you know, almost monotone with a splash of red. A bit Twilight zone actually. Yeah, definitely old movies, old TV. There's all sorts of illusions. But also relating to cinema, Vertigo has a twist ending. This is a, it's a cinematic... It's not a cinematic twist ending. It's a video game twist ending. And I, and I absolutely adore it. And it's bonkers. But it's also, it feels like as an art form, cinema has really pioneered the twist ending and kind of crafted it into something special. And there's certain movies that stand out, Sixth Sense, Seven, that kind of thing, where a twist can just really punch you in the gut. And I think that's what they were going for. And I, personally, I love it. It's hilarious. It's great. And uh, and on the second reading as well, it's still hilarious, even though you're anticipating it. And then that the, the diorama and the final kind of ponderance of whether whether you've actually escaped anything at all is is brilliant to me. I think that one of the reasons that it works so well for me is that I know how games work and I know how gameplay systems work. And one of the things that you do not do is introduce a completely new movement set character ability and just like like overall you know sense of destruction in the last 10 minutes that haven't been there for any of the rest i mean i don't i don't know how game animation works on a process like this but i have to imagine that animating that blob was just as, if not ten times more challenging than animating the 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 kid running around. And you spend four hours with the kid, and you spend ten mm-hmm. minutes with this blob, and it is just so out of left field. Not just in terms of like a story moment, but in terms of like what inside has trained you to expect from it. Uh, that it, yeah, it is. It is a truly video gamey twist because it changes the way that you interact with the world in a wholly unexpected way. It's a power. Video games, you get power ups, don't you? This game, you get the ability to breathe underwater, and then you get the ultimate. The same as any kind of bro shooter or whatever sci-fi fantasy game, you do get that. It's a power up. It's a video game power up, and it and it's like the end of Half Life Two when the gravity gun gets turned into super gravity gun, isn't it? And it just everything changes, and it becomes fun and and crazy. But your your inputs remain the same with the gravity gun like like what you are doing it becomes supercharged but you already understand the notion of pull push it just becomes more than that whereas this th- almost throws out what you've had before it it not only 
flies in the face of of the making of the game making sense, but it flies in the face of what we know about games, which is so often games put so much more effort into the opening because all players will see that. And actually towards the end of the game, not so much effort goes into that aspect of development because a lot of players don't get there. There are going to be players of this as short a game as it is who did not reach the ending because they never got mm-hmm. past the first 20 minutes. For some people, they will not have got past the first time they saw that child die. That's that's real. Some people will see that and yeah. go, nope, I am out. And that is entirely understandable. So to exactly as you said, Jacob, to put all this time into animating something that as, as I, I think grotesque is a fair word to use, like the, not, not as a, as a denigration of the being that you are the huddle. It's supposed to be as, as, unnerving and almost repulsive as mm. it is like engaging like you can't pull your eyes away from it because it, it, it <laughs> there's stuff so going on all the time in it like the way it animates to put that much effort into something that some players will never see is beyond belief mm-hmm. really. there's layers, it's not just animation there's layers of audio the groans yeah. and the yeah. screams and the yeah. splat when you splat people I think they should have called it limbo because it's just got so many limbs sticking out of it um, <laughs> it just oh it Dominate, sorry. It dominate. <laughs> I mean, you, you could be scared of it or find it disturbing, but I find it absolutely hilarious. Who doesn't want to throw a massive blob of walking jelly down a lift shaft and then get back up again? Or Me, like have when it- that blob of jelly is made from, like, demonstrably, the way it moves is made from multiple people in there yeah. I mean it's clearly it's pulling in different directions and but it's a joke monster sure I mean, but yeah, it's still we're disturbing both, we're both right but it's it's. I find <laughs> it really funny I find it just totally absurd there's all the lore absurd the, absurd's the word I would absolutely go for yeah yeah. Abs- yeah. It, it, there's an absurdist nature to it yeah sure. I think it's fun goofy stupid and I love that the game I, I haven't actually finished Ape Out and I know Jacob's done a, a fantastic video on the end of that game and how it kind of recontextualizes the game and, and kind of go out strong. For me, this is one of my favorite video game endings for just impact. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It is, it is for sure an unexpected thing. I think um, it, it, the first, I, I managed to get into it unspoiled uh, the first time that I played it through. And I, I, the, there is a sequence where you are pulling these like little control pods off of it. And there are four, of them you get the third one and then you're sucked into this blob and it's not something that is telegraphed no, at all you're, so you're, you're kind of thinking that wait for the fourth yes. to be the, the, yeah when something happens yeah and that's where it takes that you know shared video game language and turns it against you because you are not expecting this if you if you don't know what's coming so uh yeah the, i think the ending really worked for me and i i think that it does definitely have some elements of humor to it but yeah i i didn't completely lose the the body horror uh aspect of it at all i i I had i I guess i kind of had both um going on uh and and it's sad i think when at, at towards the end because the last thing that you see the last image um if you go towards this ending is this blob is unmoving and it is you know on a beach and it's it's free but you know kind of at what cost sort of thing um so I, 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 I found that sad. Um, there is an alternate ending um, that I did not get. Uh, and in fact, I don't even think I knew it existed until I was <laughs> doing research for this recording. Uh, but if you, there are kind of hidden orbs, objects um, all around 
the environment that are pretty well hidden. I, I found maybe one or two just from exploration's sake, but I wasn't super looking for them. If you find all of these, you can then go out to the cornfield uh, that you pass through. Uh, I, I guess it's before the farm uh, section of the game. Yeah, it's it's quite early. Uh, and then there is a hatch out in that cornfield that you can go down into. You pull uh, a couple of wires out and then the avatar that you have been um, that you have been controlling this entire time just sort of slumps over in the same posture that the kind of drone characters that you've been controlling, uh, the, the same posture that they take when they are not directly being controlled. Um, and that's, that's where that ends. So one could argue, uh, in fact, I would argue as that one, that that's an even more um, unexplained ending. You can draw a lot of your own conclusions from that. Um, I think that the one that I saw that made the, the most sense to me was, or well, maybe not made the most sense, but uh, that I found the most compelling, let's say, um, was a um, an explanation that basically said that you are the the plug is being pulled on the player at that point mm. because you are no longer controlling this uh this avatar so he then you know just kind of takes a neutral posture um he you no longer have power over him uh so this is what happens um i'm i'm interested to think did any of you get this uh ending or pursue this ending and uh <laughs> what do you think of it if you it's did it's definitely a youtube watch for me um, yeah, me, rather me than <laughs> I did, I did love finding some of the secret things actually in the environment. Sure. It enriched the sheer, you know, the the feeling of size and complexity of the facility. Um, what I like most about the bunker is there's a photo development room. One of the photos, the only photo you can see mm. is a, is a photo of the blob from the end of the game. So it kind of feels like. This is the. It feels like maybe they workshopped this ending. Maybe this ending was on the table, and then someone came up with the idea of a giant blob, and they were like, "Yeah, let's do that instead. <laughs> let's just put loads of work into that. That's much better." And so they put this in as a secret ending because it was taken off the off the table. And yeah, I think one of the the, the theory I like the best is that there's some sort of rebellion against the government or the state. And that whoever set up this bunker is fighting against the system and wants to shut down the blob experiment. And so by pulling the plug on the boy, he's, you know, they're essentially putting a full stop on you ever reaching the blob and it breaking out and them sort of perfecting this hive mind um, creature. And I, yeah, it's just, it works perfectly for me. Uh, I don't know how anyone would ever get it without the help of the internet to be honest, but um, I love that it's there. So there's 14 of these orbs. They look a bit like what you'd stereotypically imagine an underwater mine, like a, a black ball with spikes, like uh, cylindrical spikes coming out of it, and you have to pull the core out to depower it. And you're not really told what they're hooked up to. I found a few of them through my playthrough of the game, and then I, once I played the game and kind of mulled over for a couple of days, I started Googling what were these? Were they just collectibles because they are tied to the achievements? I, I had forgotten but now found out with my replay. Uh, the only time I was getting achievements through the game was when I, I found one of these and, and pulled the core. So I once I found out what they were, I started looking for locations of where to find them and then went and as much as I could solved the puzzle to get to them. And some of them, are even once you know where they are, are actually pretty complex to, to try and get. But I, I got all of those and went and got the final one, which is very close to where you, you find the blob at the end of the game. And then 
went back and and saw the ending. So I I did go through and do all of that. But yeah, that's absolutely a situation of I needed, well, I'd worked out the yellow cables, but there were still some places where I just hadn't spotted the yellow cable because my attention was drawn elsewhere. So I absolutely used Google to get to that. Um, I think it's it's interesting because it can tie perfectly into several interpretations of the ending with the huddle and rolling down the hill and and into the light and stopping moving and and there being a diorama of that ending in the office space that still works if subscribed to the notion that the um, plugs you're pulling out of the huddle are its plugs to control you and once you pull out the third one you you're sucked into the to the the huddle and and released and then the huddle fulfills either what the experiment's end was or its desire for freedom. And either you succeed at completing the experiment or you succeed at gaining freedom, depending on what you believe. My immediate reaction when I saw this bunker was there's a chair in the background there. There's loads of what cables coming in. Uh, the, that chair was the player. And this was the player choosing to relinquish their control. I think it's interesting that depending upon how you count buttons on a controller, there's potentially somewhere in the region of 14 buttons on a controller. So with each one you're unplugging, are you unplugging hmm. a button? And that would make more sense if buttons on your controller stopped working when you did this, <laughs> which they brilliant. don't, obviously, because if you pull the jump button first time around, yeah. you're kind of done. It's not a, that uh, would be very difficult. It's not yes. a Yoko Taro or a Kojima <laughs> no, game, exactly. is it? Um, but, but I think there's, and, and that's me choosing to make that link because that's, some, oh, that's an interpretation that I, I believe. Um, but I think that's interesting, the notion that, and, and then my mind then goes, to well where the diorama is that's office workers are they game developers making the game and am i the player going through the game into their offices to free the blob that is the, the thing they're building the game around you know it's does that make the huddle ready <laughs> <laughs> well it makes the huddle the thing that they are building this game around or the, or the game itself i suppose and and am i the player using my avatar in the world to go inside the game and break break it to get to my ending or it, there's just so many ways you can go and some of it is pie in the sky just i'm taking a thread and running with it but i just think it's so cool that i can kind of say something as wacky as that and feel like i could almost defend it as is an that, interpretation of the game i mean it is that play, playfulness just near automata where you can take out the os chip or you can self-destruct on for the space sure. station yeah, yeah, and get sure. a silly silly ending well, i think they are almost um if not inviting then at least accepting basically any kind of reading that you might want to give yeah, it no matter yeah. how uh, you know outwardly uh, crazy or ridiculous it might seem just because you know they have gone so over the top with they, this yeah, final yeah, creation yeah, yeah. that they have made they went to the bizarre uh, you first, know if, yeah. if this yes if this can be there then your interpretation is perfectly valid because you know there's there's something else in here that is uh, as as kind of out there as you can get as well one final thing that I want to touch on before we move into uh, kind of our end game here. Um, there was a special edition made of this game that is still not shipped, but it is scheduled to ship sometime in 2019. I did not order one because they are 375 US dollars. Um, and it is the game. The uh, The big thing that it comes with is a model of the huddle made by oh, um, no. the 
Yeah, made by uh, the company Real Doll, who makes um, sex dolls that are supposed to be as real as F- possible with yeah. like real seeming yeah. flesh. And uh, yes, so uh, I am 8-Bit uh, paired with uh, Real Doll to make these. Uh, I-, I don't know whether it was as a Kickstarter or whether it was just through I am 8-Bit. I think it might have just been that. Um, they're sold out now, so you can't get them. But um, that's probably the most out there collector's edition that i personally have ever uh heard of um there apparently there are enough people who wanted it that it's sold out so sorry do you think you it's like your crunchy? do you think you can like feel the bones in it does it have oh, no sound God, chip I don't where know. it goes ah all those different voices <laughs> come out of it um i have not done a whole lot of um research into real dolls <laughs> but um People are going to do things with that, um, is all I'm going to say. See, this is is the weird thing, because I think if you're going to make a model of that being the huddle in the game, it kind of makes sense that it would be fleshy in the same way that someone trying to make a sex toy wants it to be fleshy as well so it, it it's one of those where it's like oh I'm that makes perfect that it sense exist and also all. are you suggesting that it won't be a sex toy but this company is very good at flesh at uh, supposedly flesh. what they are saying is that it's not what it is intended to be right. um and so i mean people are going to use it for what they're going to use it for i'm not going to say anything one way or the other about that but it, it is interesting that that was who they chose to partner with I think that it's fascinating that that exists is is my my main for, point for there. For a bizarre game, it's a bizarre special edition. And bizarre that we're three years down the line it's still not, not being actually shipped. They're saying that it ships in 2019, so I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, and on that note, let's move into three-word reviews. Uh, you can use our Twitter handle, at Rinse to uh, send us three-word reviews. We usually send out requests on the day of recording, um, but let's go ahead and see what we have. Uh, yeah. First up, the King Rocker says, we are Legion. Tarnia says, better than Limbo. Alex79UK says, I preferred Limbo. Neil Harmon says, ball of flesh. Spencer Saunders says, avoid angry noises. Simon Meredith says, instant indie classic. Mike Bamford says, Google the ending. The Tiege says, pull yourself together. SMW says, immense atmosphere. Classic. Billy Cupid says, thought-provoking nightmare. Bubble Boy says, scary boy ball. John Bash says, blob all along. (laughs) The reviewist, who we heard from earlier, says, creepy fatberg simulator. Toon Skatoon says, sunbathing flesh potato. Three words that I hope I never hear in that order ever again. There are some really good ones this week. Oh, yeah. I see um, the ending was impactful for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. yes. uh, also, I had to look up what a fatberg was, and now I wish I hadn't. So, um, oh, yeah. If you don't know what a fatberg is, Google is not your friend. Um, so... <laughs> Let's move on into summaries. Um, I think that we all have pretty high opinions of this game, so my order here is um, mostly random, but I'm going to go ahead and start. Uh, I liked Inside a lot. Um, I... uh, it surprised me. It um, it kept me interested and intrigued. It didn't frustrate me too much, uh, only only in some small places. And I thought it was a really nice follow up. Well, nice is not maybe the word that I want there, but a really <laughs> um, appropriate follow up to uh, to Limbo, which I also enjoyed quite a lot. Um, so yeah, if you 
if you haven't played inside and you have gotten to this point in the podcast, um, I, I think that maybe one of the moments at least will be a little bit spoiled for you, but I still do recommend it. Uh, it has, I, I believe it's on um, Games with Gold uh, or possibly on Game Pass. I, I think it's on Game Pass. Um but uh, yeah, it's it's been out for a few years, so you're not going to break the bank on it if you do want to pick it up, uh, if you're interested. I, I think it's a, a great experience, and uh, it I, I found myself very invested in this game, and uh, it yeah I, I I still think about parts of it, and it's 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 rare to me to find something that is ambiguous enough to support multiple interpretations like we've repeatedly talked about on on this recording but also has some kind of meaning to it you know it's not so open-ended that it doesn't mean anything so i i think that this game supports that and i recommend it uh so that's what i have to say uh james let's uh let's move along to you please uh yeah there's kind of just a couple of things i quickly want to touch on which is um in this game the the autonomous beings the humans who are not drones and not being controlled in the kind of surface layer reading of of that that word control um they wear masks masks that are usually used to dehumanize or de-individualize or to just disguise an a, a person um uh, in this case are actually used to distinguish someone who who isn't a drone who isn't faceless and and uh intentless in that way um and i think that's really interesting that's on surface a subversion but it says something about these people narratively and in terms of obviously flagging up that these people are a th- a threat in some way or or at least need to be singled out as something other than the character you're playing as i think that's interesting and i think it opens uh it, it signifies the kind of thoughts in my head about the way that inside observes and rather than critiquing or simply subverting almost does a a, a double subversion of of a lot of sort of what we think of as gameplay tropes i think talking about when you're unplugging the huddle at the end um the expectation is because there's four plugs that something will happen when you unplug the fourth and it doesn't it happens when you unplug the third and yet in video games the rule of three is one of the most common tropes so we sh- it's one of those where you almost should have expected it to happen on the third but because they present four you expect something else and so i think that's that's something that I take away from this game is uh, it's not simply putting in a tutorial to to poke fun at bad tutorials uh, in that way that surface level critique of video games language. Um, it, it observes and relies on players who know the language of the 2D platformer, the 2D puzzle platformer. Um, and you're never you're still kept unnerved by whether they're going to subvert that or subvert your expectations of the subversion itself. And while I tie myself in knots here, uh, I that that's what I like about this is I I I can almost think about the ending in in any way that I have read about or heard about on this show or, or in the prep for it, and and I can see the the validity in that. I can see the the merit in that, and and I think that's interesting. That when I'm playing this game, I'm never sure whether it's subverting my expectations or it's trained me to expect the subversion and then gone beyond that again. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I'm. Tying myself in, in knots here, but <laughs> but th- that's that's where I come out in this game is I I like the fact that narratively that tonally it ties me in knots trying to think about what's going on. That's really interesting to me. Um, 
the the fact that I'm still not sure three years later in a second playthrough in is is great as far as I'm concerned. Um, this game hit me more than Limbo, and I hope that whatever Play Dead do next, uh, excluding the special edition, will hit me hard harder <laughs> again. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. I think I think Inside's special in that way. So I mean, it's it's clearly a feast of 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 game design and audiovisual um, craftsmanship. Uh, or you know, authorial vision, all these things. Um, you know, you come to it for different reasons, or you'd recommend it for different reasons. I would. People, someone might pick it up because it has this kind of serious reputation, high art. It's loaded with meaning, uh, but that could be a criticism. You might just as well say, like you say to Kojima, go and make a film. You could say to the makers of this game, oh, just go and make a coffee table art book already. Um, That would be unfair to say that, but I can see why some people might find it a tad pompous overall. But I like all the the lore stuff and the story and the different theories. I don't care that much. I come to this for the basic sci-fi plot and how that plays out um, in what you observe um, and the imagery and the architecture there. Um, Like a lot of people, I sort of love it the most as a mood piece, a tone poem, if you like, um, with some of the, the... I've got to say, it's some of the best audio and sound work I've ever heard in a in a video game or anything. It's absolutely exemplary. Uh, I can't praise it highly enough. And if I knew more about architecture, animation and lighting, I'm sure I would be um, similarly enthusiastic about those as well. Um, it's a it's a bit heavy. Like I did have to kind of stop playing it. Um, I I, could, I don't think I could do it in one sitting in my current tired parent state. I did kind of play 45 minutes to and sort of think that's enough bleak, quiet, isolated, uh, almost mono monochromatic um, uh, experience f- for tonight. And I'll, I'll pick it up again tomorrow um, as immersive as it is. It's maybe because it's so immersive and goes down so smooth that I, I kind of feel like I needed to take a break from it. I never felt like the game's going to bug out on me or anything like that. It just feels so slick, so polished. Um, potentially there's a flicker of criticism in that it maybe is a bit soulless in that sense or or it had the edges sanded off, sanded off to the point where there's maybe a little bit not as much life as, as there is to some other games. But uh, but yeah, it's it's, an, it's a not quite a masterpiece, but it's almost, very almost a masterpiece for me. Absolutely brilliant game. It's why I nominated it for uh, for Volume 8. I love talking about it, love thinking about it, uh, really enjoy playing it, uh, playing it. And most of all, I love listening to it. And uh, Jacob, bring us home. Well, as, as I go last, I will one-up Thomas. I think this game is a masterpiece. <laughs> I think this is seminal work of art of the 21st century. And I know on Kane and Rince, we're... We avoid hyperbole, and I'm already doing a bad job of that. (laughs) But I think this stands among some of my favorite books and movies and, and, you know, pieces of art in general as just like just just a cohesive piece of work. You know, It, it like every part of it is so directly tied in to every other part of it and and everything is so 
resonant in in itself and as part of a larger whole that this game is and even the game is maybe about being part of a larger whole it's you know <laughs> we could we could talk about this game for for five more hours and and sometimes when you have pieces of art that uh kind of have many different interpretations put upon them I think that like maybe the creators are just throwing out ideas and and they rely on people latching on to something to tell others that the you know piece has meaning. I do not feel that about inside. I think that we all have, you know, incredibly interesting and and you know well-argued interpretations of what's happening and I also think that the creators of this game have that themselves. Like I think that this is about something and and it's not just kind of like random ideas thrown together it is a piece that people have considered in in every aspect and put together in just one of the most rewarding game experiences that i have had in in a, in a long long time so i cannot i cannot recommend inside highly enough not just as a game but as just like a piece of art that i think is important to the 21st century yeah you're right okay it is a masterpiece i take it back <laughs> <laughs> all right well we're all fired uh <laughs> it just remains for me leah to thank thomas james and jacob as well as our correspondents our editor ryan and of course everybody for listening uh if you have enjoyed this podcast please subscribe rate review or if you can give us uh give us a patreon donation uh that's patreon.com slash rinse which gets you your Kaden rinse fix every week one week early you're usually an extended podcast as well as an exclusive min monthly minicast with Leon and Jay. Uh, next time, in issue 379, get your rhythm, color, action, racing fix with Dyad. Dyad.